all you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Happy 2018 to you, since this is the first podcast of the year for me. I hope today finds you well and in a place of settling into a new rhythm for a new year. If you're like me, the rhythm is so drastically different from what I thought I was stepping into that I'm having a little bit of trouble even just getting started. So if you haven't quite settled in or if you're just still getting started, you're definitely not alone. I'm going to go ahead and jump right in today with where we're headed. Lately, I've been keenly aware that we can dream and we can make our plans, which thankfully we do have the freedom to do that. But as Proverbs 16, 9 says, we can plan our way, but the Lord directs our steps. And I have felt that in full swing this past month. I initially had planned to start this podcast mid-January, along with several other things just around the house that I needed to dive into. That was my plan. But the Lord, He directed my steps towards my bed sheets in January way more often than He did my computer or what I like to call my thinking chair. If you follow me on Instagram, you might have seen that I posted a bit about what's been going on with me physically this past month. It has been a very difficult journey for me. I might even venture to say harder than my miscarriages several years ago. I want to say thank you again to all of you who've prayed for me, starting from when I first posted about this to the patrons of this podcast through Patreon. That little team of women became like a prayer team for me through those very first doctor visits, and they have sent prayers and scriptures and songs to me. It was like Ephesians 5.19, beautifully on display, many of them literally speaking to me in songs. And thank you to all of you on Instagram who have prayed mightily for me over the last few weeks and for your love and support and your comments. I do read them all. I wish I could reply to every single one, but thank you. I mean it when I say that I have felt blanketed in prayer. But around December 15th, I started noticing that my ears were ringing, and both of them felt full of fluid. That's the only way I know how to describe it. I went to a little clinic a few days later, just before Christmas, just in case it was an ear infection. I didn't want to roll into the holiday not having something to deal with that. But the doctor said that he saw fluid in my ears, which will, I guess, just remain a mystery at this point because my ENT begs to differ that there was ever fluid in my ears based on his findings anyway. So yes, after Christmas, I saw an ENT, had a hearing test done, and that was that day that he diagnosed me with sudden sensory neural hearing loss. Now, my husband, Nathan, didn't go with me to this appointment because, trust me, hearing loss was the farthest thing from my mind. I thought he was going to tell me that I had sinus problems and that my ears weren't draining. But when he told me both of my ears were clear of fluid and that the hearing test had revealed hearing loss on a nerve level, I was shocked to say the very least. In fact, I suddenly was pretty much in a pool of sweat trying to understand the words that were coming out of my doctor's mouth. His mouth was moving and he was saying words, but I was not able in that moment to compute what he was saying. So sadly, all my questions came to me as I sat in the parking lot in a quiet car staring at my steering wheel. That day he put me on medication and told me he'd see me in four weeks. He said basically in so many words that these meds work on about half of the people and the other half of the people never get better. Super comforting, right? (laughs) Well, a few days went by and I realized that I had too many questions and I needed to pursue healing even as we were praying for healing. 
So insert lots of waiting here, lots of hours in the bathtub, because somehow when I'm in the tub, I feel a little bit more normal, if that's possible. I like to turn on the little space heater that's in our bathroom. Our bathroom isn't very well insulated, and we have stained glass windows in there, actually three of them, which is so lovely, but of course, not awesome when it's 19 degrees outside. In fact, you can scrape actual ice off of the inside of those stained glass windows when it's below freezing. So needless to say, we have a little space heater that works pretty hard in there, but it does the trick. But right now it also masks the tinnitus or the ringing and hissing in my ears along with the running bath water, just enough where I feel normal for about 25 minutes of my day. And in this vulnerable space, That's where I've waited and I've talked to God. I've listened to Him. Hearing Him clearer, I know, than I ever would have if my hearing had stayed perfect this past December. And had I entered a new year healthy and vibrant and ready to take on the world, I literally shudder when I think of all that I could have gotten done around the house this past month had I not been neck deep most mornings in my bathtub singing songs to God and saying things like, it can only go up from here. This is rock bottom, and surely things can only get better from here. I've dealt with the effects of medications entering my body and the effects of them leaving my body. I've had days where, like I said, more often than not, I ended up in the bed sheets from weird symptoms that feel hard to explain. And I just lay there still and many days watch snow fall outside. I told Nathan that January felt like I was in some sort of wrinkle in time. I thought a lot about hibernation and what that must be like for animals in the winter. I know we weren't made to hibernate, but we surely were made to enter the rest of God. And maybe sometimes that's a deep rest that feels almost like a hibernation of the heart, like my friend Julie proposed to me by text. I do fully believe it's been right where God wanted me to be. All this talk of you know rest and belovedness and a whole record full of lullabies for the beloved. And here I was having to do nothing but that, just rest and be and trust and wait. It's amazing to me how God will use our physical circumstances to really reveal places in our hearts that He's not done fighting for. January was supposed to be my sabbatical. It was my month off as far as traveling, and I was going to leisurely drop a few episodes called The Posture of the Heart for the podcast, and then mostly kick into high gear on some projects that I wanted to tackle around the house and start planning for some upcoming projects. January was just going to be my month to get ahead, to purge some clutter, to plan and study and create. And here I've been under the covers watching snowfall literally watching snowfall. (laughs) I have not gotten ahead. And if anything, I feel several steps behind, like I told you at the beginning, but oh, my heart. If there's one thing praying for healing, aka begging God for mercy will do is cause a deep examination of the heart. I've determined this, knowing myself, If I had created these Posture of the Heart episodes with healthy ears, I can only imagine what all I would have left out. If I'd been healthy and tearing through the house like a mama on fire, like I wanted to, purging and cleaning and organizing, which God knows there's nothing wrong with that, but my physical ears would have been working just fine, but what would my soul have missed hearing? For a multitude of reasons that I may not ever understand, God in His sovereignty saw fit to allow this to happen to my physical ears in order that the ears of my soul would be stretched out across His heart 
desperate to hear from Him, desperate just to know that He knew what was going on with me, that I wasn't forgotten, that He wasn't silent. My sweet friend Shannon Scott reminded me on the phone the other night that God hasn't been silent since Jesus broke the 400 years of silence with His cry in the manger. And later in His life, when Jesus ascended to the Father, the Holy Spirit came. So even though it may seem like God is silent when our outcome isn't changing, He is still speaking and moving because He is here among us through His Spirit. And it's just that I've realized that sometimes I'm just not desperate enough to really hear Him, to really sit still and lean in with the ears of my heart. So this illness has been an opportunity for me to hear Him better than I have in a long time, to feel close to Him, to allow myself to be loved and to be His beloved even when my circumstances didn't change. Over Christmas when I was at my parents' house, my mom shared this little illustration with me from some sweet family friends of theirs named Bill and Annabelle Gillum. Bill wrote a book many years ago called Lifetime Guarantee that some of you might know about. But we were standing in the kitchen and my mom was making eggs and she just brought up out of nowhere this illustration that Bill used to use about a woman trying to flip an egg over without breaking it. It's, you know, a silly illustration, but you'll get the point. So they insert this truth about what it looks like to really trust God. So for instance, Bill's saying, trust God while you flip the egg. But in the illustration, the woman comes back to Bill and says, I don't get it. I totally trusted God. I flipped the egg and it still broke, which Bill then replies with this truth. The point isn't that the egg won't break. The point is, is that you trusted God. And we both just kind of giggled in the kitchen, but lo and behold, if that little illustration hasn't carried me through lots of hours this past month of just saying, God, I will still trust you even when things aren't changing, even when the results are still the same, I choose to trust you anyway. I choose to lay my heart in your hands. There's a book that has meant a lot to me over the last few years, and it's one that stands out to me about the examination of the heart, especially in pain and hardship. It's called The Tale of Three Kings by Jean Edwards. It's actually a peculiar little book. I read it in one sitting. It's very short, and it's written like a play, actually. It's about Saul, David, and Absalom, three very different kings who led in three very different ways. I don't know if it's just the songwriter in me that has always connected with the psalmist David, but this book helped me understand all the more what David must have been going through when he wrote cave songs like Psalm 57. In describing David's shepherding days in the field, you get the sense that God saw the posture of this young man's heart, and he heard his song long before he was ever anointed king. It says in chapter one, this shepherd singer slinger loved his Lord. At night when all the sheep lay sleeping and he sat staring at the dying fire, he would strum upon his harp and break into quiet song. He sang the ancient hymns of his forefather's faith. While he sang, he wept. And while weeping, he often broke out in abandoned praise until mountains and distant places lifted up his praise and tears and passed them on to the higher mountains, until they eventually reached the ears of God. And so long into the night, he wove the day's saga into a song. He hurled that hymn to the skies again and again until he had taught the melody and words to every angel that had ears. They, in turn, became custodians of this wondrous song and passed it on as a healing balm to brokenhearted men and women in every age to come.
As a worship leader, you can imagine how much that means to me to hear things like that. It's just so beautiful. But in chapter two, we get to feel what it must have felt like for David, young David, to be anointed that day by Samuel. It says, God had taken a house-to-house survey of the whole kingdom in search of someone very special. As a result of this survey, the Lord God Almighty had found that this leather-lunged troubadour loved his Lord with a purer heart than anyone else on all the sacred soil of Israel. Neil, said the bearded one with a long gray hair, almost regally for one who had never been in that particular position, David knelt and then felt oil pouring down on his head. Somewhere in one of the closets of his mind labeled childhood information, he found a thought. This is what men do to designate royalty. Samuel is making me a what? The Hebrew words were unmistakable. Even children knew them. Behold, the Lord's anointed. Quite a day for that young man, wouldn't you say? Then do you find it strange that this remarkable event led the young man not to the throne, but to a decade of hellish agony and suffering? On that day, David was enrolled not into the lineage of royalty, but into the school of brokenness. As I read that, I'm stunned that even the anointed king of Israel, the man after God's own heart, would experience what it's like to become a broken vessel, trained by the school of brokenness. I think this gives us a glimpse into what God values. Yes, all day long, He can use the mighty and the strong and the valiant who can't stop and won't stop doing for God. But the more I know Him, the more I see that it seems He's most concerned about our inner life, the posture of our hearts, and the beautiful relationship that He wants to have with us, and that we can actually do kingdom things from Him and with Him rather than just for Him. I also can't help but think that at some point, the mighty and the strong and the valiant who are doing things for God will eventually tire and possibly even burn out. I've definitely seen that happen over and over. But what about the ones who really learn to walk with God, to sit with Him and learn His ways and know His heart? Isn't this fuel for the fire? When you really know someone and you're getting to do the work with them and not just for them, when you're getting to experience a sense of belonging and true life, doesn't it spur you on like nothing else will? So these heart postures, had my ears not been desperately attentive this past month, I would have started with what will now be my second posture, if you will. Because my world has been turned upside down a little bit, it took me to the basement or the foundation, to use a very common Nathan Knuckles analogy, of a heart posture towards God. And that's a consecrated heart, a heart completely given over to God. I'm making the assumption here, of course, as you listen, that you've given your heart to Jesus, meaning that you've recognized your need for Jesus and you've come to know Him as your Savior. Before we can have a consecrated heart, we do need a cleansed heart, a new heart. This is us recognizing that Jesus was indeed God's Son who died on the cross for our sins and who was resurrected from the dead. Sometimes you hear this referred to as the finished work of Jesus, His death, burial, and resurrection. Even His ascension to the right hand of the Father, where now all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And in this place here with us now, we have His Spirit to be our counselor, our comforter, and the life of God in us. He can live in us in this new heart. Ezekiel 36, 25 says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your 
idols, and I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone, and I'll give you a heart of flesh. That means moldable, flexible, a soft heart. So with a cleansed heart, separated apart from sin, you now have a heart that can be consecrated to God. A heart consecrated to God is different than a heart cleansed and purified from sin. Again, if we're building a house here, the cleansed heart, new and alive in God, purchased us a plot of land to build on, if you will. And now that we have that level ground prepared for us, the foundation poured for this house is the consecrated heart. When we are cleansed, we were separated from sin, but the consecrated heart is to be set apart for God unto Him. This is to make the claim of your life that you don't belong to yourself anymore, that you belong to God. I do know one thing, that there's already been so much fruit from this physical trial that I've been going through. I do believe that the enemy is throwing spears and he's roaring in my face wherever he can over this matter, but I also know that God takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it for our good. Part of that good has been that it's caused me to go to the foundation of my heart and repair some places that might have been cracked or even broken over time. I've been pretty transparent with you before about God showing me places in my heart where I was trusting in man more than I was trusting in Him, which, let's face it, that's idolatry. I believe this is something that has to be revisited in our hearts over and over I don't think we rid ourselves forever of idols once and for all. I believe like David, we have to often say, see if there be any wicked way in me. That word wicked there that David uses in the Psalms actually means idol. I think we also have to guard our hearts from lies we begin to believe and from sin that can creep in. Hebrews 11.6 does say that without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. I've told you before that that one just levels me quite often. It's also shown me, though, what conversations day-to-day can really look like with this God that I can walk with. So it doesn't have to be this stagnant prayer list, but a real conversation where I take these places in my heart to Him, and I confess them, and I discuss them with Him. And as I took a good look of the foundation in my heart, this posture of consecrating my heart to God and allowing it to be set apart for Him alone, a song started to come back to me from my past, one of those lingering prayers that I've told you about. The song is called, My Master. I wrote this song several years ago based on Exodus 21 and the consecration, for lack of a better word, of a Hebrew slave to his master. See, a slave would serve his master for six years, and in the seventh year, the slave could go free. However, if the slave loved his master and he did not want to go free, he and his whole household would come before his master, and he would declare, I love my master, and my wife and children and I do not want to go free. And then his master must take him before the judges, and he would take him to the door or the doorpost, and he would pierce his ear with an awl, and then he would be his servant for life. And during one of those moments in January where the ears of my soul, along with my physical ears, were laid flat before God, sometimes even the posture of my body face down, I began to sing the words of this song. The day you heard my plea, you looked right through me. You saw the pit I was in, and you came and pulled me out. 
You set my feet upon a rock and put a new song in my mouth. Then you called me your own, and I'm never turning back. I love my master. I will not go free. I take your name and live in liberty. My heart is yours forever. I'll serve you faithfully. I love my master. I will not go free. You're a love I've never known, and your faithfulness has shown. No matter what I'm about, you always find me out. And you lovingly remain age to age the same. And for all of my days, I will tell of your mighty ways. I love my master. I will not go free. I take your name and live in liberty. My heart is yours forever. I'll serve you faithfully. I love my master. I will not go free. As I sang those words with my hand cupped over my ear, I consecrated my heart again to my master, choosing in that moment to love him and stay near him and to trust him no matter what, even through the painful school of brokenness, even if my current state was my lot. And just like the Hebrew slaves turned bond servants, they didn't know what was ahead with their master. They had no idea what hard or plentiful times they would fall on. They were set aside as belonging to their master. Out of what? Out of love for him. I've spent a lot of time confessing things to God as I've prayed for healing. That other loves have gotten in the way over time. Other masters called from afar and their voices got loud. I renounce the other loves and the other masters as I ask Him to help me repair the places and the foundation that were maybe chipped away and cracked over time as I let lies seep in, and I posture my heart and my ear to be pierced by Him and for Him alone. All the postures we're going to talk about in the next several weeks stem from this posture right here. You can't have the others without first having a heart dedicated and set apart, fully belonging to your Master pierced through, no matter what the future may bring. If you think back to the concentric circles that I've talked about a lot, this posture fits right in that bullseye. You live from your consecrated heart. All your decisions, your yeses and your noes, come from a heart postured in complete surrender, whose very identity is surrendered. Our sin nature so loves to resist this posture. (laughs) We have a tendency to believe our freedom will be snuffed out and our identity now just this slave shackled to a future of whatever God deems best. What's beautiful is that true freedom comes through the choice to posture our hearts in this way. I love that God lets us choose this posture of becoming His bondservant, which is what the Hebrew slaves and even sometimes the apostles referred to themselves as a bondservant. I love the fact that us becoming His bondservant is not something He forces on us, but He lets us choose to stay. He lets us choose to love Him, to serve like His Son served. And just as the law was in place as guardrails for the people of God for their protection— and for them to understand God's ways, this choice of consecrating our hearts to God postures us in laying a foundation to receive so much more. The point of the law and then Jesus fulfilling the law was that we might grow into a love relationship with God rather than just this law relationship with Him. It's the same with a consecrated heart. This posture places us in the path of the eyes of God and as his word says in First Chronicles 16, 9, that they roam to and fro, his eyes, throughout the earth, seeking to show himself strong to those whose hearts are fully committed to him. 
Thank you so much for listening today. Next time, we're going to talk about what our consecrated heart is postured now to receive from God. If you'd like to give this podcast before the rest of the world and the journal prompts that I prepare for each podcast, you can become a patron of this podcast, which means you support us monthly and which means you bless us tremendously. You can do that through patreon.com slash Christy Knuckles. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Christy Knuckles. And the journal prompts are there so that you can just personally dive in further into some of these truths with Jesus. I take the time to write those personally based on just how Jesus has grown me in these areas of my own life. Also, just for a fun Valentine's Week treat, on February 12th, my album, Be Held Lullabies for the Beloved, is going to go on sale for six ninety nine. dollars on iTunes only. And if you buy the record or even give the record as a gift to a friend, you can email your receipt to info at and you'll be entered into a Valentine's giveaway in partnership with Project Free to Fly. I've gotten to work with Project Free to Fly and meet their amazing team in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I love their beautiful work that they've established there. Their heart is to support, nurture, and empower women. And they exist to help women in their own community who are unemployed but do have a desire to rise above their current circumstance. They support these women by teaching them the skill of sewing and they create beautiful leather jewelry and all kinds of bags and wallets. Their work is truly stunning and I have some of it for myself. They work to create a line of products and the profits, of course, go back to these women. And through mentorship and equipping them with the truth that they can be successful, these women have found purpose and stability. And it's truly stunning to see what God is doing through this nonprofit. I've actually gotten to meet some of the women and they are just precious. You can read more about them at projectfreetofly.com and be watching my Instagram to see the beautiful products that we're gonna be giving away in the drawing. Thank you again for listening today. I'll talk to you soon. 